Yes, I'm okay. I have recovered from COVID. How are you? Oh my God, COVID. Yes, that's a thing. Happy New Year. (laughs) Happy New Year. And you're all feeling all better? Feeling all better, yes. Happy 2021. Good. Happy 2020 wanted us. So, we've all survived. For the future, we are still fucking locked inside. Yeah, we are all locked inside. Um, But we are living our lives and we are here for another podcast. Yes, welcome to Giga Up. Thank you so much for coming back to listen again. Uh, Hello and bonjour to our uh, many new French listeners who joined us. Yes, which was very exciting. Our our Mariah Carey episode was a hit in France. Bonjour. Yes, bonjour, bonjour. Thank you to everyone that's left um, such lovely comments on um, Apple Podcasts. That really, really helps. So thanks and please keep doing that. Yeah, comments are the way forward. This week! I'm so excited, Nick. I'm so excited. Oh, my goodness. This one, I... It's funny... I mean, it's not funny, but <laughs> not funny for not funny, ha ha. But the thing is, it I it's well, curious. I just is it curious. It's curious. I uh, really did not quite realize how um, how significant this this artist has been in my life. Well, I haven't thought about it a lot, and then suddenly it's like water. You know, uh, you don't think about water. Wet? Oh, right, I see. I feel like people do think about water all the time. People carry around water. I don't know if you're that sort of person that carries around a water bottle with them, but I feel like many people I know... I do, nowadays. I do. Well, under lockdown, I do, because it's not always easy to get water, if you're asking about. I just don't think that people get dehydrated as quickly as they think they're going to. (laughs) I don't think humans are going to keel over if you don't have a sip of water for a couple of hours. No, but you might be like, oh, dear, I feel a bit thirsty. (laughs) You know, part, and that's going to detract yeah, from your I enjoyment just, of the situation. You know what detracts from my enjoyment of the situation is clunking around with an enormous water bottle in my, what I would have to carry as a backpack in order to fit the water bottle in it. No, thank you. Okay. I feel like, I feel like this is working against our aim to bring this in under hour. <laughs> <laughs> so, great. Anyway, water. It's good unless you have to carry it. So, <laughs> on to today's artist. Yes. Do you want to say who we are covering? Um, I don't want to say who we're covering because I pronounce his name um, as Bowie and I feel like everyone else calls him David Bowie and I feel like you should announce David Bowie. I think it's David Bowie. You think it's David Bowie as well? You it know, is I David Bowie. An interview. I did listen to an interview and he said he didn't even know anymore. Yeah, like right, nine, okay. Well, it's no, like a 1999 interview and he was like, I don't fucking know. Here's why I think it's Bowie. Yeah. Bowie. Bowie. <laughs> what, what do you think it is Bowie? I think it's Bowie. David Bowie. Zowie Bowie. Yeah, because his son was named Zowie Bowie. Or was his it son named Zowie Bowie? It wasn't Zoe Bowie. <laughs> and it wasn't Zoe... It wasn't Zoe Bowie. Zoe... You know it wasn't I'm gonna... Zoe Bowie. It's so... I'm, I'm going to anyway. introduce it. Here it goes. Hello, welcome to Gig It Up. <laughs> and we are talking about Ziggy Stardust, the motion picture, the live gig experience by David Bowie. 
1973, recorded here in London, where I am. Nick, are you a fan? Uh, well, yes. So, um, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I think I was a fan before I really knew about his music. Yeah. It was one of those so, things where I sort of think that I, I somehow, it, it, I actually kind of came to his music fairly late when a friend of mine were driving, a friend and myself were driving to France. And I was like, I don't really know David Bowie's music that much. Yeah. And he was like, well, then I'm going to educate you on this trip to France. And he took me through the whole thing. And by the end of it, I was like, oh, my goodness, what a genius. Yeah. Where have you been my entire, so, entire life? Um, but up until then, I think um, I had been a little bit less aware of the music and just sort of aware of him as a presence. And I think oh. I was sort of a fan of the image and the the kind of interesting ambiguities of it all. So where did your friend start? Did he start with the, the best? My really early. <laughs> favourite album, Beth and David Bowie. Really early, like... David Bowie, the album David Bowie, his first album. I think so, oh, yeah. Oh, no, and with a laughing gnome on it. Oh, I don't remember that one. Have you heard but that then song? I, but I, and I also remember the, the disco era. There was, and I was like, oh, there was a disco era. Oh, yeah. And stuff like that. Yeah. You know, it was very exciting. So, anyway, that was basically... Um, so, yes, huge fan. Huge fan, huge fan. I'm also a huge fan. <laughs> yeah. I am. Um, what was your... What's been your relationship to David Bowie? My dad was a ages. huge fan of David Bowie mm-hmm. and introduced me to him. And I have been like a lifelong obsessive. Uh, would you say obsessive? Oh, he's one of my favourite uh, musicians, I think, of mm-hmm. all time. Mm-hmm. My dad always mm-hmm. told me the stories. So my dad was like an only child who grew up in Norfolk. Uh, I don't know if you know huh. Norfolk. Very flat, lots of pig farms, lots of potatoes. Yes, I'm sorry for you that you have been there. Um, (laughs) And his parents only listened to, like, Irish folk records and stuff like that. Although, I have made a note here, I did remember that I bought my nanny, when my granddad died, a hamster, and she named the hamster Sinead O'Connor. So she must have heard of Sinead (laughs) O'Connor. <laughs> wow, what a tribute <laughs> yeah, to Sinead O'Connor. So she, they listened to, mostly only listened to Irish folk. And my dad told me about when he was a teenager, physically building himself a radio. I don't know how one does that, but he managed to build a radio mm. and use wow. that radio to tune in to Radio Luxembourg, which was a boat moored off the coast of Norfolk. Yeah. And when he built the radio, he heard Moon Age Daydream, which is a song off the Ziggy Stardust album. And uh-huh. Just the idea of that happening and the idea of being exposed to music this must have been so incredibly different and alien, wow. just which is a funny word to use for a Ziggy Stardust song, but how much must must have absolutely blown your mind. I always think of that story and I, I got really into uh, David Bowie through my dad being into David Bowie. Um, That's and it amazing. was also sort of as a sort of early teenager around the same time, <laughs> we've talked about this before, as Velvet Goldmine yeah. coming out. The film yes. Velvet Goldmine, which is sort of vaguely loosely based, well, not even that loosely. Oh, it's basically based I, on I, the Ziggy I wouldn't Ziggy even era. say it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, my God, what a film. Yes. <laughs> but um, interestingly, not well received at the time or a hit. No, and not critically or uh, acclaimed either. Um, but I think lots of people I know who sort of, this was like before I even knew what 
queer yeah. would be or why I would have been mm-hmm. interested in anything mm-hmm. like that but uh, there's a number of us sort of drawn to this slightly shit film oh god I don't think it is I think it's a really good film is it? I don't I think it is shit since I was a teenager yes. and so it's so hard well, to then, judge I think let's watch it again oh that would be interesting to do it would be really interesting to watch it again through the eyes of a seasoned adult because for anyone um, who hasn't seen Velvet Goldmine is there like a little mm -hmm. summary you can do I mean essentially it's the story of David Bowie and Ziggy Stardust it's basically a kind of reimagining of David Bowie's career and life yeah um, through the eyes of a kind of a suburban journalist who but uh, what my sort of takeaway from watching this is that it's sort of about it's kind of the emotional track of a relationship to David Bowie's career and life. Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know. Exactly. And um, and it takes a lot of elements, and we'll talk about the kind of crossovers a bit because I think there are some really interesting crossovers. But um, but it's I, I I was so I was uh, I read an interview with the um, director. Is it Todd Haynes? Uh, Todd Haynes, yeah. Director, yeah. Oh, Velvet Goldmine. Velvet Goldmine. And he was saying that um, it 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 wasn't a hit at the time and it wasn't critically acclaimed, but that it's sort of been a sleeper hit and it's kind of Mm -hmm. built and it's built quite a fan base. And also, mm, guess what? Not being critically acclaimed because it's a queer film. Yeah. And, you know, does that get, you know, think about all the kind of like crappy rock assholes <laughs> that are out <Yeah>. there <laughs> and their basic homophobia and of course they're going to like respond to it negatively so yeah they yeah. had an amazing soundtrack as well really they had great an amazing soundtrack. soundtrack it had an incredible soundtrack um i'm assuming it had none of the songs were by david bowie i'm assuming it's because his estate didn't allow them to use it they, david like bowie himself, david bowie. no david bowie himself did not allow it Right. He read the script. He read the script and <laughs> said and and stopped there being. It was uh, basically there was um, Todd Haynes put in a request for David Bowie songs to be used, and mm. he he rejected it specifically because he was like, "This is just a rip off of my life and career," which it was. Yeah. yeah. There's a new film out this year, mm. um, which uh, also was they were not allowed to use. Also about the Ziggy era. Yeah. Also not allowed to use his music, and that is also being yeah. completely torn a new one Panned. by the by the critics so actually but i think maybe worth a watch yeah yeah well i don't know because i think maybe that one isn't so good but i do think <laughs> that velvet goldmine is amazing <laughs> yeah um but anyway and... we were talking about velvet goldmine because that was one of the my it was around the same time i was getting into bowie that uh, mm-hmm. i saw velvet goldmine and it all sort of came together and i used to go to the, uh, the little battle of the bands in the villages down the road and i used to take a little <laughs> plastic cup full of glitter and cover it in foil and poke little holes in the top and bring a little glitter shaker out with me uh, in an and attempt what, where would you shake the glitter just sort of around sort of on people's heads and <laughs> sort of uh, on my boyfriend lane who lives in a car now uh, <laughs> <laughs> And well, let me tell you something. I suspect that Lane probably has still some like glitter on him because once you <laughs> let glitter in your life, oh my it God. never leaves. Well, I, will, I cannot even tell hair, you. So. I cannot. I cannot even tell you the places I have found glitter. Uh, I. I like, it would be easier for me to say the places I haven't. Yes, and also. Um, I would say that in my flat, 70% of the dust is actually glitter. <laughs> it never leaves, it never leaves. And because uh, I used to do this thing, I used to do this look that I used to call glitter head, where I would cover my entire head in glitter. How would you get it, it was like a kind of like, head? 
with just hair gel. Wow, Pop. that's a tip. Yeah, and I, um, it was like a glitter wig, if you will. And um, but, but let me tell you, that basically left a, a plath- it just like glitter smeared on the walls, just glitter everywhere. So that was imagine. my life for quite some time. Yeah. Um, so I lived in Brixton for a very long time. Yes. Barry died uh, in 2016 and he was born in Brixton. So um, when um, he died... I remember very, very vividly um, just people from all over London, the country, slash the world, coming to, to Brixton and congregating Brixton and the whole, um, particularly uh, Brixton Town Square, if you're familiar with it, uh, being completely full of people. Um, and yes, I was there. Kind of I, like, I, you went there as I well? I came down. Yeah, I was there. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think it became... Only, yeah, one of the only famous people I... I cried when I found out he died. And it was such a surprise because nobody knew he was ill. I bawled my eyes out and I went down for the night. Yeah. Maybe Dolly Parton. I would cry if Dolly died. Yeah, it became this sort of place of absolute homage, didn't it? It was yeah. fascinating. Um, and um, I also, I can remember like... Because genu- 2016, I feel, was like the 2020 of the, of the 2010s. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> in that um everyone it we love and admire terrible. started to die and lots of people died trump was voted in brexit happened like it was a yeah. terrible terrible year and everyone was like nothing will ever be worse than 2016 and then 2020 mm. came along yes. but um but yeah i remember um like genuinely being quite distraught to the death of david bowie and just being like oh i didn't really expect to react like this but really really being genuinely distraught um but anyway bowie's uh, birth origins in brixton and um the uh the fact that that became then a place for people to commune together so let us get into this gig yes what is this gig this gig is ziggy stardust the motion picture and this is a live show slash documentary by da penn and baker and it is from july 1973 as you said nick at the hammersmith apollo and this was the very very last show of ziggy stardust and um the ziggy stardust tour had uh, been going for, for a while, I think. So this was the last date in that tour. The, the, the fantastically day. successful world tour, including USA and Japan, which the voiceover says, uh, but also doesn't uh, clear up that it was only the USA and Japan because <laughs> Ziggy Stardust never went to Europe. But yes, this is the last night in the extensive USA and Japan tour. World tour. Well, um, yeah, yeah, well tour. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's, there's that very British thing of like we're going of introducing that, which doesn't happen anymore. But I feel like it used to happen where someone would come on and go, and now, ladies and gentlemen, it's this person. They do it for comedy, so it don't feels they? Very but strange. Not for yeah, music anymore. It feels very strange. Someone kind of going like, and now it's David Bowie. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and the Ziggy Stardust character. Um, had only really been around for 18 months before David Bowie sort of like killed him off at this gig. Yeah, I mean, David Bowie himself had been going for about 10 years at this point, sort of reinventing himself. Ziggy was the fourth album he'd put out, and he'd this is the first time he'd ever had a, a really big hit, which is nice to remember mm. as, as struggling artists that you can <laughs> keep, you can release something like The Laughing Gnome and still crawl your way back. <laughs> Well, I think this is the, 
one of the sort of takeaways from David Bowie is that um, his career was by no means smooth. No. And, um, you know, it was quite stocky starty. And particularly at the beginning, I think he sort of launched or had had a sort of beginnings that, that didn't really make a huge impact and then went away and reworked and came back and started to yeah. build more of his success. But, yeah, I think he really is an example of someone who kind of built themselves up and sort of had failures and successes and kind of built on those and I think that's one of the things that makes him really intriguing and also inspirational. He's very clear in interviews that what he wanted to do uh, from the very very beginning was write musicals and you can really see that in the sort of character Mm. creations right up to including Ziggy and way past Ziggy into like the Thin White Duke and the, the Diamond Dogs is basically a 1984 musical which he made in the 80s um so yeah, this character of Ziggy Stardust was created. Um, who did you say it was based on? It was like a British so it was musician. Based on a, yeah, it was based on a British muse- musician called Vince Taylor, who um, Bowie met after he'd had a breakdown. Um, and, after Bowie after had, had a breakdown? After Taylor had a breakdown. No, after Taylor had had a breakdown. <laughs> and um, so Taylor believed himself to be a cross between God and an alien. <laughs> Which you can see the inspiration there in in um, Ziggy Stardust, but um, but also that, that I sort of feel like that's the basis of most people <laughs> who work in the arts, isn't it? <laughs> uh, speak for yourself. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, it's sort of, you know, that it sort of speaks a little bit of kind of um, swag and swagger, yeah. but also like a little bit of kind Delusion. of like a Yeah, <laughs> that you kind of need slash have find a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Although David Bowie was really apparently quite shy, and this Diggy Stardust sort of character was a way of him figuring out a way of performing, because he had always mm. sort of intended to write the music, but never necessarily intended to be the one who performed it. He didn't really like his voice for decades and this Ziggy album um, was sort of written at the same time as Hunky Dory the album before and was originally recorded um, and it was supposed to be or David Bowie wanted it to be his voice but then the face would be um, this fashion designer called Freddie an American fashion designer would be the face of Ziggy and he would be called Mm. Albert Korn or Alfred Korn or something like this and this was all recorded uh, a couple of years before like Hunky Dory era and then did not work and then was re-recorded again mm. with the Spiders from Mars band and with David Bowie at the front as Ziggy. Oh. Uh, in which it very much so does work. Yes, it, oh, 100%. And it's interesting that that sort of idea of the alter ego, which is mm-hmm. something that... Um, uh, has has continued as a, as a sort of... Uh, both as a coping mechanism, I think, for people who are rock stars or pop stars and also as a way of kind of stepping into something new kind of like representing yourself you know um Beyonce has Sasha Fierce yes the David Bowie it feels like particularly significant because his well it's sort of like you know like typical analysis of Bowie because his older brother or half brother was schizophrenic and he had this sort of constant um sort of in the back of his mind David Bowie is always terrified of going insane um, but then couldn't help but play into this very sort of schizophrenic um, sort of gesture of reinventing himself and playing as different characters, whilst at the same time yeah. being terrified that this was going to drive him crazy and he was going to end up like his brother did. Oh, that's so interesting. It's um, Yeah, he also uh, based the persona a bit on um, Iggy Pop, and um, that sort of bravado, and mm. he was also influenced by the music of Lou Reed, 
Um, and he sort of started to invent this character in 1971 on a on a trip to the States. Yeah. Um, and he also um, believed part of the, the the sort of you know the, the the rock and roll suicide sort of aspect of it was that it was partly his paranoia and fears around being killed on stage himself. And the closest he got to that was in the 90s when uh, someone, I think in Norway, threw a lollipop at his eye and it got stuck there. And he just kept going. <laughs> oh, what a trooper. <laughs> and also, that's not quite... Death by lollipop. That would not be good. But the thing was, the thing was that, that he, had, um, he had stated that he was gay in an interview. Mm. And it, uh, the response to that had been so negative and, in fact, violent that he was pretty convinced that he was going to be um, murdered on stage. And so he's sort of preemptively killing himself off here. It was, in this it was sort of film. playing out those fears. Yeah, mm. it was kind of so the, the character Ziggy was kind of playing out these fears. And he also, I read this um, this really great quote where he said that he had this. He said he had this revolting need to be kind of superhuman, and that he always mm. felt that he was quite puny as a as a, an actual human being, and he wanted to kind of create this sort of um, superhuman image. That would kind of be bigger kind than of, him. Kind of worked. He is yeah. superhuman oh, now. If there 100%. aren't any superhumans, it yeah. worked. Yeah. Ziggy um, uh, had also was an was an actual alien. Yes. Was the other thing that he'd come to, <laughs> he'd come to Earth from an unspecified planet um, <laughs> to deliver the to deliver the message that Earth had five years left. Yes. <laughs> so. Let's get let's into get, this, shall let's, we? Let's get into it. So we open um, Bowie backstage putting makeup on. I don't know if we yes. want to... Oh, my God. Well, also, we get um, all the sort of stuff that's going on outside as well. So all the yeah. fans who are dressed up. Oh, and they look amazing. It's so, it's so interesting because... Um, I was sort of thinking how just how weird glam, look, glam rockers look in the kind of cold light of day... Yeah. And also that there were definitely people there who like it's kind of cosplay before cosplay kind of existed. <laughs> so they're, no. kind of, they're kind of dressed as Ziggy Stardust and those are the people you're like, oh. And then there's other people who you're like, oh yeah, you live that on a daily basis and it's yeah. really interesting to see that difference. So we get the behind, we get the, um, the sort of what's going on outside as everyone's waiting to get, come into the yeah. house with Apollo. And then we're inside and... So I did not realise that um, this was going to feature backstage stuff. Yeah. And quite a few of the, the shows we've watched so far, quite a few of the kind of recordings of shows have featured um, people getting ready or people yeah. doing quick changes. And so this has that. And I was just so excited yeah. to see that. Yes, this nice little lineage um, of, of this yes, from Bowie. Um, because I think it's it. just such a fascinating glimpse. But also the difference between the, this, which we'll go into a bit more later as we talk about these as they go through the, the show, but also the, the, so the difference between those and the ones that we've seen from more recent artists. But um, yeah, so we see David Bowie being made up and I felt quite emotional. Do we need to talk about the effect of a man in makeup in 1973? Because that's what I was thinking of it when you were talking about his fans yes. outside and what you don't see is the risk that the people, especially like the, the men, 
are who are wearing yeah. makeup are taking being out on the streets of London in Hammersmith in 1973 with mascara on or lipstick on. Yeah, I mean, this was a big deal. A, a man presenting himself in this way and using kind of glamour and makeup and, um, you know, it was, it was a pretty big deal. And, you know, 40 years later, however long it's been, almost 50 years, you know, it's... Um, it's it doesn't seem like such a big deal and we're quite kind of used to it but but um, i mean like harry styles was on the cover of big deal harry styles on the cover of vogue in a dress was what a couple of weeks ago and that was this huge big deal because he was the first man on the cover of vogue which actually bowie tried to do with pinups that was supposed to be the front cover of vogue uh but that's a different that was a different story him and twiggy on the album cover of pinups but like just Harry Styles in a dress in like 2020 is still somehow a big deal. And this is yeah. 40 years ago. Well, yeah. And the, I think the thing about this, as someone who is a, a bit of a makeup aficionado, mm-hmm. well, not aficionado, but, you know, I love makeup. Yeah. It's, it's a bit, it's really, uh, um, you know, and uh, makeup artistry is kind of part of my work and also just something that I'm slightly obsessed with. You, you know, I've I mean, you should see my makeup box. It's ludicrous. <laughs> I would love to. But maybe I've seen it. <laughs> I've seen I the travel version. Many... Oh, God. But I, yeah, the travel version is just as ludicrous. But, like, <laughs> I, I don't know how many thousands of pounds I spent on makeup and wigs over the last five years. But, anyways, um, it's for work. Um, but, you know, the thing is. <laughs> write it um, off, mate. Write it off. Right today, it's tax deductible. Um, <laughs> the thing that, you know, I found quite emotional about this is that, um, number one, I mean, just just sort of seeing Bowie being made up in itself is kind of fascinating because um, those it, those images of David Bowie in makeup and um, particularly the Ziggy Stardust era have been so fundamental and so, you know, have, have kind of rocketed through the ages. So a ma- makeup as a kind of cultural phenomenon yeah. I, I think we can kind of trace it back to a lot to some extent to this moment with david yeah. bowie and his makeup artist was pierre laroche who is in the documentary doing the makeup for this show nice. um and he also created so he worked with david bowie on all his his makeup looks um and he also did the makeup for rocky horror picture show no yes he but so essentially pierre laroche um was an algerian uh, who moved to? Uh, he was born in Algeria and moved to London and and worked as a makeup artist and just created these incredible looks. Um, and sadly, he died of AIDS. But and he's sort of a bit forgotten. But I just think he's this incredible. He he was this incredible sort of. Um, he understood the power of the power of makeup. People yeah. will get that reference who are into makeup. <laughs> but he he um, you know he understood how how. how pivotal this was culturally so i think that's fascinating what an artist um, what an artist and I'm, I'm going to be a makeup geek here for slightly but um i know we're trying to bring this in <laughs> but there was an article in 1973 from a uh, um a journal called music scene called david bowie's makeup do's and don'ts that said what he um what he used and what he shot with and i think the thing was that david bowie was very 
understood, I think, the kind of like spiritual aspect of makeup as well and the kind of philosophical aspect of makeup, which I'm really fascinated by. And I made a show about my first ever show was called The Cosmos, The Cosmetics. And it's kind of about that. I didn't know that's what it was about. Yes. Um, so it's about kind of, because uh, there's, there's cause basically the word cosmos uh, um, and cosmetics are linked in Greek, the Greek mm. language. They have the same root because um, it was it was seen that, that adorning your body and, and was... Was as deep as the was as kind of as deep as the universe, right? Yeah, in Greek culture. So there's the, so there's this really fascinating thing around makeup that it's like the most kind of like ridiculous, like ephemeral, stupid thing in the world, but it's also got a lot of kind of philosophy and and spiritual significance as well. So I think Bowie understood that. So he used a lot of things like. Uh, um, Indian kajal, which is a kind of coal, and mm-hmm. he used um, rice powder, which was the the Japanese sort of white, what they'd use to kind of get the white faces for um, for geisha and things like that. So he sort of was quite a kind of makeup um, uh, anthropologist, if you will. God, that's fascinating. And you know what? Links up perfectly with what Bowie uh, says now when his wife Angie walks into the dressing room. Mm-hmm. He turns around to her and says, you're just a girl. What do you know about makeup? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just, shall we, shall we talk a little bit about Angie Bowie? <laughs> shall we have a little shout out to Angie Bowie, who, not to bang on about Velvet Goldmine, Tony Collette, absolutely nailed in velvet oh my god this and i didn't know this um that angie bowie was american and this incredible fake british accent darling that she's doing i'm when she's just obsessed with the way she walks in and goes there's people outside with limos and it's just fabulous it's fabulous it's fabulous and she is she just is awful and brilliant um and apparently uh, uh, they're very in love at, at this time. Although she now, yeah. she now says that it was a marriage of convenience. But um, yeah. people like I don't uh, think it was. Yeah, no. His producer said that they were so in love at this point that it would get in the way. Uh-huh. You sort of get a really interesting insight into the relationship because she kind of walks in and makes it all about her and she's all like, yeah. oh my God, it's just so fabulous outside. And then he kind of just says something like, that's enough, Star. And she kind of like yeah. leaves the room. It's really fascinating. Oh, the power dynamic of this. Great. Oh, yes. I was expecting but, you know, a kind of was... Cynthia Lennon sort of like slightly in the background, um, sort of like more withdrawn, but she she, is, she wants to be the star. Oh, yeah. And he used to call her star for that reason. And she, um, but, you know, she was pivotal in this moment because she really helped create the kind of that look. Yeah, she really pushed it. Um, But I love the fact that what we see, first of all, is her outside signing autographs. (laughs) 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 And funnily enough, I was just, I just remembered that a friend of mine had told me because apparently she'll, if if you're friends with her on Facebook and she'll add anyone, she she now lives in the States. She's um, that she'll, she'll married to a plumber that's 25, 25 years younger than her, right? Good for her. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she apparently will quite happily chat with anyone on Facebook Messenger. So my fr- a friend of mine had a chat with her on Facebook Messenger while she was defrosting <gasps> her freezer. No, because I have been trying to get hold of her a no holds barred sex book about her and David Bowie's life, but it has mm. not not been published widely, and it's quite hard you to get can't hold get of. It. No, well, they don't have any copies left on Amazon. Not that I would use I Amazon, obviously. I use a local bookstore. 
Um, but <laughs> well, that's it. But I mean, I mean, that's the thing. Like, you know, if when someone writes a kiss and tell like scandal rag mm. style book like that, I sort of think that they lose their credibility, and I think that's. You know, that's I just don't know if she had credibility to lose. You know, she got, in the first place. She was on. She's very like, I don't know, the celebrity Big Brother thing. Um, it, it screams very much. I know they just, you just see a line between this person in this backstage footage and someone going on Celebrity Big Brother as someone who was desperate to be famous. But also, yeah. we are not the person that edited this documentary. You know, no. D. A. Pennebaker may have had his own. Um, opinions on Andy Bowery's personality and has chosen to portray whatever he wants to portray here. Yeah. Who knows? So <laughs> we, go, we go from we go from this this kind of really incredible backstage moment that it feels really intimate and really telling. It's just so fascinating. And then we um, sort of get a moment of the crowd. Yeah. Um, and I have to say that if, of all the things we've watched so far i there was just such a palpable sense of the kind of excitement they're kind of yeah. a heat you know and it's just that fascinating thing of how a recording can kind of capture an atmosphere as well you know what i mean it just, yeah especially because the quality isn't that good but you can feel the no. energy in the room and it is it really um, is there isn't it it's yeah. so interesting and it just it really made me think of just those moments where i've just been so excited to be waiting oh god to see me too someone. oh no oh. i miss it so much <laughs> Yes, yes, but it really, it's, you could just feel this sort of excitement and joy from the crowd, and it's really incredible. Yeah. Um, so we come in on um, Hang On To Yourself, was the first yes. song. Um, the voice is great, and the audio is very clear. The voice is incredible. Considering the video quality, the audio has been reworked um, because it was released as an audio album as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is well worth, always well worth a watch and a listen. Yeah. And I, as I, my note here is that there's a costume change within that song. Yeah, some these the same like uh, costume. Uh, I don't know the wardrobe people. They run in and strip him off into this white onesie with the boots, the sort of classic Ziggy Stardust. Yes. Look. Yeah, so he's into so so it's into Ziggy Stardust, and uh, um, I mean, number one, those legs, right? Yes. Like thighs. Uh, also. Not to go back to this, but like, if a, if a man was, if a, like, the biggest pop or rock star in the world was wearing this now, it would be radical. Yeah, well, I've in got 90- exactly the same note. I don't think this has ever been topped. Never. I don't think no. that. I think if you went to, I, I was thinking about this, like, I went to, like, uh, Bergheim before it closed in Berlin, which is, you know, it's like the underground kind of mecca. And it's hard to get into and all this kind of stuff. I love it. I freaking love it. Mm. And <laughs> and honestly, I don't think any... Like, ultimately, like, you could put David Bowie in that situation now, like, now, yeah. dressed like that, and he would, still look, he would still look the most cutting-edge person there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, but it's like it's a... It's incredible. The, ref, the references are so... Uh, kind of wide and brave and so much of this comes from I mean this particular look the looks through this are all sort of Japanese kabuki and mime yes. inspired the costume designer was um, mm. Kanza, uh, Kanzi Yamamoto um, yeah. yes. and the 
so who was a who's a fashion designer in his own right and um and presented collections up till I think about 1996 so really really interesting to look into him mm-hmm. but um the the costumes for this were all inspired by the Japanese concept of bizarre bizarre which is a style of flamboyance and extravagance what I th- think as well about this is that it just shows that Bowie's kind of one part of his genius was in who he worked with mm-hmm. and I think bringing together people um like Pierre Laroche and Yamamoto to kind of create the makeup and the you know create this kind of complete look yeah both of them you know both them between them and both and separately they created these incredible enduring avant-garde images that that have stayed with us and yeah. you know i think that's part of his genius was also who we work with i mean you're right that they're sort of lasting that vna exhibition they had of bowie's sort of costumes mm. is like the fastest and biggest selling exhibition the the vna that's in the victorian albert museum in london it's the fastest exhibition selling exhibition they've ever held people mm. are still obsessed with these looks this many years later Oh, they're, I mean, they're beautifully made. They're incredibly designed. And yeah, they're, they're really, they're just fascinating. So, um, but yeah, they're, they're this Japanese kind of influence and, and based on this, this concept of Bazaar. So yeah, fascinating. So then we have, um, we've got the classic, we have Ziggy Stardust, as in the yes. song Ziggy Stardust. And then we go into Watch That Man, the opener from Aladdin Sane, which is the album following Ziggy Stardust, who is kind of the... Um, the sort of evolution of Ziggy Stardust, like the slightly more, uh, I'm just going to say cocaine-addled, like terrifying version of Ziggy Stardust, like the American, the sort of time when he was over in the States living off milk and peppers and cocaine. Uh-huh. So where he's, and when it's, he got really into jazz, you know, he got Mike Garson, who's a famous jazz pianist, to sort of convince him to do the piano on Aladdin Sane. So we have watched that man, which is kind of rocky, but more um, sort of jazz inflected. Mike Garson's not there for this gig, but he, uh, they have another pianist live doing great work. And I was just very emotional it's, it's watching phenomenal. this because this is pretty much my yeah. favourite What was it that for you that sort of brought out the emotion? It's just, this is my um, favourite art, probably. This is just, this is my favourite music. Yeah. My favourite art and the idea of being in the room and watching it happen, I just, it just, I just wanted to cry. It's just, it's never yeah, going to happen, and I can't think of anyone I would be, anyone I would be more excited to see mm. than this. So then we we move into um, Wild Eyed Boy from Free Cloud. And yes, then, this is the little um, medley, isn't it? Yes, and then we're into All the Young Dudes. What a song! Yeah. Um, yeah, got, what a song. We've got Oh You Pretty Things again. Oh, what a song. Oh my God. This, this, um, has just made, Hunky Dory. So this, a lot of these tunes are off Hunky Dory. Like, yeah. Hunky Dory, the album previous to Ziggy Stardust, was just banger after banger. Like, uh-huh. even, like, there's Life on Mars, Changes, All You Pretty Things. Like, this is like three classics. Even one of those yeah. songs by themselves would. It would make you an Amazing. artist that would go down in history. And three of yes. those were on one of his albums before he even became famous. Yeah, it's amazing. It's, just, it's, amazing. it's kind of amazing. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's just, it just kind of bounces along, do you know what I mean? It's like, 
it's just so captivating. And I think he knows how to kind yeah. of create a shape. There's a real simplicity in what he's doing. He's not, yeah. he doesn't do a lot of like jumping around or throwing himself around. He's quite, yeah. in some ways he's quite static, but he just creates these really compelling shapes, shapes in a way. There's, yeah. It's almost kind of modelly. Yes. Especially with it those legs. Think a bit about, it made me think a bit about Grace Jones, who... Um, yeah who had a similar approach in that she would just create these... She wouldn't do a lot on stage, but she would kind of create these really incredible shapes yeah. um, and sort of understood the power of that simplicity. And I think, I think he does the same. I completely agree. There's also no talking... There's no talking between the songs as well, I noticed. It's, it's sort of like straight, straight from one to the other. Yeah. Maybe that was... Uh, sort of more typical of the era. I don't know. I haven't watched a lot of stuff mm. from around this time or this was a particularly sort of Bowie choice around this time. Mm. Maybe because mm. he was still shy? Maybe, yeah. And perhaps... Because I was really interested in the relationship between Bowie and this character and how much... I I'd sort of assumed, I think, that we were going to get something that was a lot more kind of theatrical in presentation and that there'd be a lot more characterization. Yeah. And I, although obviously it's sort of a heightened performance, I, I didn't necessarily feel that Bowie was really stepping into character a lot or maybe, so maybe the choice to not speak was about that it was, a, that it was kind of a physical performance of yeah. this character rather than a vocal one. But, oh, and the voice. Oh. I mean, what an He's, amazing singer. Sounds great. His cheekbones look bang oh. on. Oh, my God. And also, um, what a musician as well. It's beautiful. Yeah. So we move on then to um, Moon Age Daydream. And Which is I've a song I was talking incredible. about. This is the one I was talking about my dad hearing for the first time. Like, if you've never heard... Uh, oh, my God. Uh, ..this kind of music, having... Having these opening chords and these yes. ridiculous lyrics. Um, yes. I've got the word it underlined four times, <laughs> which I think means that... Because I think this is like the height of the height of the height. Like, I've never yeah. actually heard this song before. I, no. I, watched this and I was just like, yeah. And I was just like, I was watching this thinking... This is just genius. The song's incredible. The performance is amazing. The feeling of electricity in the room is just coming mm. through. I just thought, this is this the most amazing moment in rock history? <laughs> I can't believe you've never heard that song before. I'm so happy for you that you heard it in this context. Oh, let's go back to Barry, because now let's we're backstage. Get back to Barry. Yes, and um, and again, like so I was just so excited. I just love these moments, these backstage moments, and what a kind of like amazing honor to see this, and um, oh, oh, what a treat! And yeah, I was always thinking about these backstage moments that we've seen in other concerts, and and what I kind of love about this one is it's so chill, and everyone's so kind of like blasé. Oh my like someone God, says, yeah. someone says it's going well, David. <laughs> <laughs> And, um, and David has a fag and a coffee. Yeah. And uh, I was sort of had a little Google to see um, if his backstage rider had uh, evolved since this era. Um, because obviously we've done Mariah and we've done Celine Dion and stuff like that. Mm. And you see that people are um, demand whatever they want. And they uh, mm. are definitely, definitely more elaborate than what looks like a, sort of a, a broom cupboard in the back of the Hammersmith Apollo. Uh, with mm. a coffee machine and some fags, but in, on his yeah. um, the 
the only rider I could find with Bowie on the smoking gun. Uh, he only requested some oranges and some bananas and some coffee, and that's it. Perfect. No messing around. Yeah, he hasn't. He but hasn't. I, he hasn't I, become I, any more demanding. Oh, I love him. I think the thing is that it's the first time I've seen one of these where the artist is still kind of in the performance. Like, he's still, like, everyone's sort of around it, but he's kind of being quite still and sort of focused. And and people are like, yeah, people are sort of getting him ready, but it feels like he's still in it. Whereas I think a lot of the other ones we've seen... Um, they're very frantic. Like I'm thinking yeah. about Celine Dion, where she's like basically strip naked and rub with oil in two minutes. Yeah. And, same with Janet. You know, or we haven't we haven't released Janet. Same but with Janet. Yeah. Um, same with Janet Jackson, which is going to be the next one after this. But um, you know, it's very frantic, and there's a lot of like preparation and stuff. And this one, it's still at the center of it. It still feels that he's very, very kind of like in it. And I, I wonder, yeah. wonder if that speaks to this sort of characterization element. I wonder if it's because he's thinking about the fact he's about to kill him off. I wonder how much of a big deal that feels like mm, at yes. this stage. Because apparently uh, half the band didn't even know this was wow. going to be announced. Oh, really? That's mm. interesting. So it might be, fascinating. might be a reflection of that about to happen. Maybe. I mean, there's, it certainly feels there's a sort of a zenness at the centre of it, but he is kind of uh, being prepared and there's a costume change. So then we go into changes. He's in this sort of low-cut stripey thing. Oh, it's Lovely. such a great look. Every every look, every song is a classic. Uh, every look is amazing. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so he's in a kind of like, it's a jumpsuit, isn't it? A stripy yeah. jumpsuit. Yeah, and he, there, he stays in the jumpsuit, jumpsuit for Space Oddity, which was his first sort of big hit. Mm. Um, in the UK because it uh, very luckily coincided with some sort of space mission. So the BBC oh. chose that. <laughs> it was released like 10 days before a space mission. And so the BBC chose it uh, uh, to play over the top of this. Um, oh God, I don't even know what you call them. Rocket going up into space. Some sort of space uh. launch. Anyway, that was his sort of oh, yeah, break- yeah. breakthrough Breakthrough. Oh, what a great, what great timing! That's one of those kind of like co- lucky coincidences that can I make ima- people's careers. I imagine nothing happens uh, as a coincidence in Debbie Bowie's uh, career. Mm, or mm. Um, in the sort there's of the a saxophone breakout like though in Changes. This is which I was like, where did that come from? Do you forgive a saxophone breakout when it's done by no. David Bowie? Because I cannot imagine no. you're a big saxophone breakout kind of... Uh. I cannot even tell you how much I hate saxophones. They are my least favourite... Let me tell you my worst scenario, which I've, I've actually encountered. My, le- okay. my worst scenario is my, my worst song... Yes, that's my worst song of all time. Oh, my God. Um the um uh, what's it called baker street worst yeah. song of all time and nothing revi- re- revolves me more or reviles me more than um because i can't i also can't stand the sound of a saxophone on its own like a solo saxophone mm-hmm. and I, i've one thing i've encountered a few times is like buskers with just a saxophone playing Baker Street. And let me tell you i've wanted to take their money as compensation <laughs> for what they just brought me through the trauma so I want to talk a moment about the lighting. Yes. Because it's shite. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Like, what? I mean, maybe it's pre-designed yeah, era, maybe. but oh my God, it's bad. But there are some choices like, being why made. Why is the lighting so bad? Earlier on, there was a lot of red being used. There are choices. Well, this also, this is a bugbear of mine mm-hmm. because red is, yeah, it's there's a lot of red. And 
basically, red is is just such a bad colour to use, and because it, it essentially, especially with makeup use and things like that, it just takes it all away. Yeah, it just wipes everything else out, doesn't um, it? So red is an awful colour to use. But, however, despite that, I will. I just wanted to um, point out that there's a lot of the use of teal and magenta in Oh, it. I love a teal and magenta mix. Yes, and I wondered, because if you think about um, people like uh, David LaChapelle, the photographer, mm-hmm. a lot he uses teal and magenta a lot in his imagery and things like that. And I just, I saw it, so I was watching it going like, the lighting mm. is terrible, but there is a lot of teal and magenta. And I wonder if some ways that went on to then influence people like David LaChapelle. When was David LaChapelle working? This didn't come out until the 80s, I don't think, this film, because they sat on it for a while. Um, yeah, no, he was, so David LaChapelle uh, was like, or was still working, but like 90s. Yeah. In which case, that's a great shout. And I lo- I really like the My Death because um, it's just him him at a guitar and yeah. it's just beautiful. Yeah, it is beautiful. And what a musician! And he just holds it, you know. Yeah, even more stillness in this really quite still, but still rocky show. Yeah, and you know we've talked a lot about in the past uh, about the kind of dramaturgy of of, of pop concerts and mm-hmm. of concerts and. Um, there, there's definitely, although there's not sort of theatrics or th- themes in the ways that we've seen in other people's shows that we've looked at, like there, there does definitely feel like there's a mo- there's kind of a shaping of it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, completely. There's a uh, there's a choice in the energy, the shaping of the energy, uh, by the choices of songs next to each other. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. We're definitely being taken on a journey, yeah. is what I felt. So then we're into the interval, and we've got the William Tell overture mm-hmm. playing. And there he is, uh, basically um, naked, having a fag again, with his, uh, getting his clothes. Yeah, so he's backstage. <laughs> I wonder how many cigarettes he has during the show, because his voice sounds great and it Quite doesn't hurt. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's, it's very relaxed and jovial, yeah. right? Just like everyone's backstage, there's a little bit of a jam session going on. Yeah. Um, it just feels very chill and like kind of cool and everyone's <laughs> like, yeah, we're making one of the most phenomenal moments in cultural pop history, but um, let's just chill backstage for a bit, shall we? I guess we're, li- uh, not literally, but we are looking into the eye of the hurricane here where these yeah, people, right. they don't, they don't That's know. That's brilliant, yeah or care that they are uh, about to create history here. Mm, how it's fascinating, isn't yeah. it? Because in some way, like, the, the, way, the weight of that must be kind of pressing to an extent, but equally... There's no way he could know. Like, he, he might have wanted, but you can't know mm, in 1973 that 40 years later this will be... it's going to have such an yeah. impact. But 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 it, it was having an impact there and then. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like he must have been aware that like there was a, a an instantaneous impact that was happening there. Actually, like in the room. Yeah. And he's kind of just like, oh yeah, I'm just chilling backstage. And I just thought the the contrast between this sort of phenomenal alien magic that's happening on stage and and just like kicking back, yeah. chilling backstage with your <laughs> yeah. mates, having a little bit of guitar jam. <laughs> I just thought it was just so striking and yeah. so brilliant. <laughs> Uh, so then we're back on stage and we've got um, Cracked Actor. Cracked Actor and Aladdin Sane, both from Aladdin Sane. This is really, uh, really avant-garde stuff by the time, yeah, by the time you get to Aladdin Sane. Yeah, there's a, um, there's a cape. Yes, that's a um, Japanese-inspired cape. 
Yeah, there's a, a, a someone comes on and puts a feather uh, feather boa on. Yeah. So there's a sort of like on stage reveal, which I love. <laughs> so he strips out of the cape and into the and into the feather into the uh, the feather boa, and you know the reveal. I mean, that's a that's a drag queen classic. You know, what I mean? he's not messing around. He's going straight into those those moments. So yeah, we've got this incredible um, this incredible costume change. It's it's fabulous. And then we're into time. Oh yes, um, oh yes. Felt very time from which is also from Aladdin Sane. Yeah. Yeah, which feels very kind of Marlena Dietrich's giving me those vibes. Oh, it's very, like, the lyrics are incredibly specific, like references to quaaludes, and there's, like, time flexes like a whore, and it's very, like, last exit to Brooklyn, a sort of, like, Mm. sort of, like, it feels very much like it's living in the world of, like, uh, drag, New York, 70s, drugs and darkness, uh, mm-hmm. which again for me is like this is one of the most popular music musicians or like songwriters of all time but like mm. there's not like elton john or mariah carey aren't gonna have songs about wanking and quaaludes on one of their best-selling albums of all time <laughs> he's got away no. with, he's got away with the avant-garde in this pop context Mm. It's so interesting that how how it, how willing he was to kind of push things, but also how he kind of got things through. You know but what also I mean? how willing like the British or world public were were to mm. accept mm. this uh, the kind of uh, how edgy this was or how edgy this is. Mm. Yeah, I think what it's, happened? It's interesting. What happened I think, to us? <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, I do. I sort of think that there's in culture, there's cultural moments in which people are very sort of fascinated by the kind of like the dark side and mm. the uh, extravagance and kind of flawed bohemian human beings, and and it, it felt like this was one of them. And the sort of the, the imagery around that, you know, the glam rock sort of thing also spoke of that. Um, but Maybe I don't it's something about it being one of those moments right now. Sort of still like basically post-war. I don't know how far away from a world war you'd mm-hmm. have to count to be mm-hmm. post-war, but. The world is, or the Western mm. world, is still kind of repairing itself post-war, and like so, like society becoming more liberal must have been so much more, sh- like such a huge shock to the people who had been in power, like the older white mm-hmm. straight men. Yeah, must have been feeling this. So, like, this is a real crack in history happening at this moment, and maybe people yeah. are more more open to. Uh, you know, weird aliens crawling through with songs about quaaludes at times like that. Yes, I think so. Um, So then we are into uh, The Width of a Circle. Yes, this is from The Man Who Sold the World uh, from 1969. Um, And this is kind of a bit more rocky. There's a chance for Mick Ronson on the guitar to show off. I'm not that into it. This is one where I'm not that into it. It goes on for so long. I'm not into these guitar solos. Probably if you were there, you'd be like, I'm just going to go with this. Or I'm going to go to the bar. I have to... (laughs) I have to yes. I have to say I skipped ahead on this. And it, yes. Uh, like, it's okay. Because well, well, yeah. <laughs> then we just skipped um, ahead into "Let's Spend the Night Together." Um, the Rolling Stones oh, no, cover. Well, I, Ooh, I, am I, I also missing want something? To just pause here for a moment because yes, because there's a mime, there's a whole mime moment. <gasps> I did not see so, the mime moment. Um, oh God, maybe I skipped through the mime moment. I'm sorry, Lindsay. I'm sorry, Lindsay Kemp. Okay, I'm sorry you missed the miming because yes. I think miming is a thing. Oh, please, um, please though, catch me up. <laughs> Well, let me talk you through the miming. There's an invisible wall. Oh, mime classic. There's an invisible wall with miming. Um, 
Is there a way through? He's trying to find it. There is a way through, but it's hard to get through. Oh, oh he has to push <laughs> the gap that's opening between this in this wall. Oh, oh he's, he's fighting to get that open. Um, but somehow the wall is bending yep. to his will. Um, and then he's through the gap. Oh. He's through the gap and he's flying. No, flying on what? How? Just with... He's levitating, you mean? motions. <laughs> this... Well, he's doing, wing, he's doing wing motions. This is Fly, very much fly, like that I wouldn't motions. accept it from anyone else apart from Kate Bush. Uh, sort yes. of uh, thing that actually they're probably getting, both getting from Lindsay Kemp. All right, so let's go in on Lindsay Kemp because this is probably the moment that's most influenced by Lindsay Kemp mm-hmm. in the whole thing. To some extent, I mean, he actually... So Lindsay Kemp was a, um, a an openly gay um, theatre maker who used a lot of mime yeah. and other uh, aspects. Um, and um, he... So Lindsay Kemp and David Bowie had an affair. They did have an affair. I had heard about that. Yes, they had a they had a relationship mm-hmm. um, that Lindsay Kemp was like, oh, it didn't last that long, but it was very um, strong between us, and uh, so I think that's really beautiful. But he was kind of a mentor to David Bowie, and they worked together a lot on um, creating uh, moments. And, and in fact, he directed the original Ziggy Bowie, Ziggy Stardust gigs. Yeah. So um, he was sort of behind the th- the, the the creation of that. Uh, some of those visuals and that character. Um, but then, yeah, he also worked with... Kate um, Bush. Kate Bush. Yeah, so he was very influential in working with Kate Bush. He saw uh, his production of Flowers, which was his sort of one of his most memorable productions. Is that a Jean Genet uh, play? One of his big... Yes, Flowers. it's based on that. Yes. Yeah. So it's a, it's a version of Jean Genet um, uh, that reworked by um, Lindsay Kemp. And... Um, now, one thing I wanted to ask, actually, as well, is do you... Th- I think that maybe Kate Bush was there in the audience. I don't know if she was, but that is a... I'm sure we looked this up, but... Because she saw... She, she was I'm a fan. Sure she, and I'm pretty sure she had seen David ba- some of David Barry's concerts, and I wondered whether it was the original Lindsay Kemp <gasps> sort of opening maybe. of Ziggy Stardust or whether it was this final but so so it's possible maybe yes hang on she's here she's in the audience (gasps) yes yes she uh, a young Kate Bush um She's, she, okay. In an article in Mojo in 2007, Kate Bush described her love for David Bowie's music. The concert she attended, which was the final live performance by Ziggy Stardust and Spiders from Mars on the 3rd of July 1973. So she's here in the audience wow. today. How ah! incredible. Like, I mean, how amazing. Yeah. Just, I just want to take a moment. Oh, it just all makes so much sense. I also makes so much sense. These geniuses coming together. These geniuses coming together. And also, you know, we've covered uh, the Kate Bush for her first tour. um, And so if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and have a listen. But um, you can see how she drew inspiration from this as well. Oh, totally. And sort of took it it in a new direction. Um, But what an amazing kind of lineage. Oh, I also love that we watch, we're looking at the audience and little Kate is there. Little Kate is there being like having a mind blown and then going to be amazing in her own right. I love it. But also, you know, just to say about... So so to an extent, I watch this being a bit like, oh, mime, you know? And like, oh, yeah, he's climbing through a wall, et cetera, et cetera. (laughs) Mime 101. I mean, he's committed. 
yeah, he's committed. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so Lindsay Kemp, Lindsay Kemp, however, I would say, you know, um, was one of the people who, David Bowie being very shrewd about who he worked with, bought into his kind of creative um, process and, and influenced his creative process. And I think part of the reason we have the kind of genius of this gig and Ziggy Stardust is because of that relationship. So yeah. um, so I'll forgive the mime <laughs> and also kind of celebrate it as well. Yeah, because he got loads of other stuff from like the Japanese influence that we talked about earlier. And then apparently Lindsay Kemp used to play like Toru Takamitsu, who was a Japanese a sort of yeah. avant-garde classical... Yeah. Uh, composer used to play that during their mime classes so that probably worked his way in like sound wise as yes. well as the the visuals and stuff yeah absolutely and Lindsay Kemp and the sex was in, he was having um, so that's good and and the sex yeah because they I mean how how awesome is yeah. that oh I just love it um, but also um, uh, so Lindsay Kemp was in Derek Jarman's um, Sebastian which I saw way too young because it's basically gay porn. <laughs> but um, my parents, I want to say I won a TV and a fate when I was a kid, when I was about 11 or 12. I won a TV in the village fate, and for some reason my parents let me have it in my bedroom. Oh my God. So I basically used to stay up all night watching Channel 4 when it was good. Um, and it showed things, and it, so it showed Derek Jarman Sebastian, which has opens with Lindsay Kemp doing this. Uh, dance as a sort of Roman orgy um, with this massive phallus strapped to his front and he kind of wanks off this giant, oh, giant phallus. Nick. And and I still remember it, you know what I mean? It's like I still I still remember going like what the hell is this? Having my little gay boy mind blown and it stuck with me. So I sort of think that um, the you know, Lindsay Kemp, fascinating. Can you imagine it? Kind of if you had won the meat raffle rather than the other <laughs> raffle, maybe you would be. And would my parents? You'd be straight right now. <laughs> <laughs> and would my parents have let me had have the lamb chops? We'll in keep my the room. chops in your room. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we're into a section which I don't think we need to cut. We can kind of skip through, which is basically covers. Well, we have let's spend the night together, which was also a David Bowie release, but is a Stones cover. Um, yeah, but again, it's still a tune. Um, and mm-hmm. again, for like, just for how uh, how long ago this was and how radical everything is in comparison, let's spend the night together. When the Stones released it, they would often have to sing, let's spend some time together, because it was seen <laughs> as too sexy to say, let's spend the night together oh. out loud. But also, mm-hmm. can I just say that, he, that Bowie says this one's for Mick, right? Yeah. And basically, Angie Bowie after later said that the reason they broke up was because she discovered <gasps> Mick Jagger and David Bowie in bed together, having spent the night together. Yay! I mean, no, sorry, bad, so, bad for Angie Bowie. But oh, screw Angie Bowie! <laughs> I mean, I want to be in on that game. So you, <laughs> yes, I want to be in on that Mick Jagger and David Bowie moment. <laughs> but um, uh, basically, they did spend the night together, and good for them. Good for them. And then we're on to Suffragette, Suffragette City. Wham, which wham is bam! Not thank a cover. you, ma'am. Doesn't doesn't really go for it here. That's a shame because it's one of my favourite Bowie moments. But fine. Mm-hmm. And then we're into Lou Reed. Yeah, this is a Velvet Underground white. cover, and Velvet Underground were not as, nowhere near as big as they are now. And David Bowie is definitely sort of an early UK uh, proponent of the Velvet Underground, and loved them was very much influenced by them. Uh, so a little yes. shout out to them there. And then we get the farewell speech moment. Yes. Where he announces that this is going to be their last um, show and there are audible 
shock sounds <gasps> from the from the audience. Yeah, because I think he's also and retiring. They don't know that he doesn't mean. They think he's giving yeah. up. Yeah, and I suppose so. People thought people took it as meaning that David Bowie was never going to perform yeah. again, but really he, he was saying that it was going to be uh, Ziggy Stardust's last yeah. performance. And um, if you think the energy was electric beforehand, from now on, yeah. it's like, ah! it feels like the room's going to explode. Yeah. And um, in the sort of Ziggy Stardust narrative, the idea was that um, as part of this prophecy, um, Ziggy Stardust is waiting to be taken away back to his planet, mm-hmm. but is instead torn apart on stage by black holes. <laughs> so that was what happened to Ziggy Stardust, but instead it's just David Bauer going like, oh, this is, this is a great gig, but it's going to be our last. Thanks. <laughs> My um my favourite YouTube comment under this this section that we're watching right now was someone wrote, I will never forget this. I was 15 and frying on half a sheet of brown window pane a- LSD and the traces coming off Bowie's orange hair is an image I will take to my grave. <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to sort of say also when we talked about Velvet Underground being the kind of um, emotional soundtrack of the or the emotional track of this was that i thought that when we got to this moment there would be some kind of like death mm. well because we're thinking I, cause of velvet, I, yeah velvet gold mine because we're thinking of under, velvet underground velvet gold mine. and velvet gold mine um and um and there isn't no. is just david barry makes an announcement so it, in a way it's kind of underwhelming however it did ha- obviously have a massive impact on the people there and the, the band who didn't know. Impact. And the band who didn't know. And so in a way, I understand now that moment in the Velvet Goldmine where um, Ziggy Star- the, the sort of Ziggy Stardust character is shot and it seems like he's been assassinated mm-hmm. because um, that, I, that must have been how it sort of felt, but it's not how it looks from the outside. You know what yeah. I mean? So I sort of get that now as a moment in that film. But, um, yeah, so it sort of happens, but it's not, it's not like there's not a stage yes, death. Yes. It's just an announcement. An announcement. He yeah. is dead, not even dead. He's going away. And then they do yeah. um, Gene Genie. Again, this is a Jean Genet. He's named after Jean So then we are into <laughs> rock and roll suicide. Mm, the end. What an anthem for our times. Oh, my God. Ziggy oh, Stardust has so two good. huge apocalyptic anthems. Five years and Rock and Roll Suicide, which bookends this album. I think it's incredible. Yeah. It's erotic, it's wild, uh, it's strange, surreal, and it's sexual. Yes. Oh, no, love, you're not alone. I've had my share. I'll help you with the pain. It's just, oh, God. Oh. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, it's kind of an incredible moment. And then also people run onto the stage, right? So mm. a few people run onto the stage, and he sort of he sort of sets them off quite tenderly. Bye it's bye, kind of, there's we no love kind you. of like pushing, you know what I mean? There's just this moment where they all kind of run to him and grab hold of him, but he's sort of like, it's just a very tender kind of scent, the mm. way that he sort of like, just kind of like sets them off. It's just really beautiful. I don't know why that really struck me. Um, but that's the end. And then it ends, and then we're into Land of Hope and Glory. Yeah. <laughs> Which is weird because there's something sort of like English or British or whatever you want to say about about the ending and about him mm. um i don't know if that's uh, intentional or hopeful on my part um yeah 
So we've, all, we've got to hold on to something in post-Brexit yeah, right. times. That there's something good about Britain. <laughs> and maybe bye, that bye, thing we was love David you. Bowie. Like, oh, God, David. Yeah. Anyway, end, yeah, it's, Finn. It's done. Uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, what are your overriding writing thoughts? My thoughts were, what a privilege to have watched that with you and to have talked about it. He is one of my favourite artists mm. of all time. And then this has done nothing but confirm uh, my idea that he is a genius. And uh, at the same time, a lovely, wonderful human being. A couple of things that I always come back to with David Bowie, which I think um, sort of speak about what a lovely person he was, was that he... So he did an interview where he talked about the video that he did where he's dressed as a clown, is it? Oh, which song is that? Do you remember? Oh, he's on, like on a beach dressed as a clown. Oh, God. Uh, it's not Ashes to Ashes, is it? Ashes to Ashes. Yep. So he's... he's, he's uh, and so they were filming that video... Yeah. They were on a beach in Ireland or something filming their video. And this old man walked into the shot <laughs> and sort of, because they were filming it, sort of wouldn't go away. And, and the director said, do you know who this, do you know who this is? Like that. Looks like a in a clown suit, the old man said, and walked <laughs> off. And, uh, and David Bowie said that he, he, he said he often thinks about that old man, often thought about that old man and thought, yeah, I am just a cat in a clown suit. Oh, God. And I think that's adorable. And also, um, there's an interview that I watch with him fairly regularly where he talks about, as an artist, that you should always be operating at the edge of your comfort zone, that as soon as you feel comfortable in what you're doing, yeah. it's over, and that you should always be pushing to be, like, out of your in depth. deep end, yeah. And I... I and I just hold that dear. Yeah. So those are my sort of Bowie takeaways. And also that I just think he does seem like a decent human being. And I hope that's the case. Okay. What an, inc- what an incredible privilege it's been to uh, watch uh, Ziggy Stardust with you, Nick. Oh, it's been phenomenal. Honestly, this has been amazing. I love this podcast. Yes. Thank you so much to everyone who listens and has been res- responding and giving writing comments and being lovely. Please write comments. Please subscribe. And also, please let us know via the power of, in- of Instagram um, on Kick It Up Podcast, that's our Instagram handle, who else you think we should be looking at because we want new ideas. Nick, have a wonderful week. I'll see you for Janet Jackson. You too. Bye. Bye.